Well, good morning again. And as a pastor, I, I've always felt this way. If you're getting, going to get a sermon right, this is the day to get it right. Yeah. If you were asked to name the most important events in history, what would be at the top of your list? I looked up several most important events in history lists on the Internet. The lists all mention things like the rise and fall of empires, different wars that were fought, significant inv- inventions, great accomplishments by people like Isaac Newton, Martin Luther, Christopher Columbus, and Albert Einstein, to name a few. And some, not all, listed the birth and or life of Jesus Christ. So, there was, well, some of them had the same name, uh, 25 most important events in history. This particular list said, of all the important things or events in history, the life of Jesus was number 22. Another entitled 25 most important events in history said, the life of Jesus, again, is number 22, but it did say that his influence lasted longer than most. One entitled 100 most important events in history listed those events chronologically. So, in this case, the life of Jesus and the birth of Christianity was number 16. But Jesus was kind of right in there with Buddha, Confucius, and Muhammad. And this list did not mention the birth or crucifixion. And then one I thought was kind of interesting, entitled, The Ten Most Important Events of Mankind, said this, Since we first appeared on earth, we've created some awesome stuff. We went from scavenging bone marrow to building bridges. That's why they say there's nothing new under the sun, but who knows what's next. Let's take a look at some of the most important events that made us us. Aren't we great? The discovery of fire, domestication of dogs, invention of the wheel, creation of currency, invention of the alphabet, creation of religion, advent of timekeeping, invention of the printing press, the Renaissance, the Industrial Revolution. You know, that list is all about what man has done for man. No mention of Jesus unless you want to throw him in the religion category, although I'm not sure he would want to be put there. It was the really religious people that caused Jesus the most problems when he walked this earth. Well, I agree that the life of Jesus is one of the most important events in history. I would, however, put him at the top of the list. I think there is evidence of that in the way we divide history between B.C., before Christ, and A.D., which stands for the Latin phrase Anno Domini, that translates into the year of our Lord. And that is used to mark years, the years after the birth of Jesus. So the life of Christ was a pivotal, pivotal point in the history of mankind. 
But more specifically, I believe that there are two events in the life of Christ that were the most important events in history. Can you guess what those events are? We've talked all about them this morning, the crucifixion and the resurrection. The question then is, what makes the crucifixion and resurrection so important? Well, I'm glad you asked. With a few exceptions, everything on the list that I looked up have had or have only temporal significance. And by that I mean they only impact us during our life on this earth. When we die, when the world ends, when Jesus comes back, none of these things we thought of as so important will be important anymore. Now, it won't matter who won a war, or what empire rose and fell, or what great invention changed the way we do things. None of these things have eternal significance. That, then, is the reason why the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus must go to the top of the most important events in history lists. What Jesus did not only impacts our lives on this earth, but he also, what he did also impacts our eternity. And because we are eternal beings, we will spend eternity somewhere. Jesus, in Matthew 25:46, talking about the judgment, said, Then they will go away to eternal punishment. Those who have not found Jesus as their Savior and been obedient to him will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So, let's begin with the crucifixion. Let's hear that passage of Scripture. Gail? This is about attitude. Not too long ago, a month or so, back in February, we visited Philippians 2. And when we did, I thought attitude is a key to action. I've been thinking about that since. Would you stand as we read from Philippians 2, 5 through 8? Here Paul says to the Philippians, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I think finished there. Even death on a cross. And thank you for your kind attention. So why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Well, let's begin here. God is holy. 
man is sinful. Contrary to popular belief, we are not basically good. Jeremiah 17.9, and this is from the New Living Translation, tells us the human heart Excuse me. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? All mankind has had a sin problem since our first parents, Adam and Eve, ate the forbidden fruit in the garden. They did what God told them not to do. They rebelled against Him. And we've been following in their footsteps ever since. Romans 3.23 tells us, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. All of us have sinned. And 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And in that same chapter, in verse 10, it says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar. Well, because God is holy, sin, all sin, is repulsive, repugnant, disgusting to Him. He cannot tolerate it. Sin is an affront to God's holy nature, and He hates it. Our sin then separates us from God. It severs our relationship with Him. The prophet Isaiah said in in chapter 59, verse 2, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you. So sin is serious business with God. So serious, in fact, that the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. And that it also tells us that the forgiveness of sins is accomplished only through the shedding of blood. Hebrews 9.22 In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We see this demonstrated very clearly in the Old Testament system of animal sacrifice. Again and again, the people had to bring the very best of of their flocks and herds to be offered as a sacrifice for their sins. It was only through death and the shedding of blood that their sins could be atoned for. A blemished, lame, or sick animal would not do. You had to bring the very best that you had, the kind of animals that you hoped would win a blue ribbon at the county fair. And it was painful to do that. It emphasized the fact that atonement for sin was costly. Sin is serious business with God. The problem with this system was that it had to be done repeatedly. No animal sacrifice could bring forgiveness for all sin. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10, 10 verse 4 tells us it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But God had better. God is always better. Revelation 13, verse 8, speaks of Jesus as the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. And in in John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, this is speaking of John the Baptist, the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, there are numerous prophecies in the Old Testament that predict the suffering and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. One of the, mo- one of the most well-known prophecies is Isaiah chapter 53, written 700 years before Christ came. God has always had a plan to save us. Romans 3.25 tells us, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. Hebrews 9.28, So also Christ was offered once for all times as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. And Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. It is God's love for us that sent His Son Jesus to live among us and then die on a criminal cross so that our sins might be forgiven. It is God's love that found a way through Christ's sacrifice to bridge that separation that had been created by our sin so that our relationship with our Creator could be restored. Again in Romans, since we have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him, Jesus Christ? God, in order to save us, spent His wrath against sin on His own Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus took upon Himself the wrath of God that we deserve. And as a result of this, if we put our faith in Christ, and what He did for us through His sacrificial death, then we can be completely forgiven. Ephesians 1.7 In Him, Jesus Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. There is a hymn that has this, these lines in it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing the blood of Jesus. In a moment, we will be partaking of communion together. Did everyone get the communion? If not, would you raise your hand and make sure that you get it? Alright, we have several policies. Go ahead and distribute those right now. This is an act of remembrance in which we recognize what it cost Jesus to save us from our sins. It's something tangible. The bread. Let's go ahead and make sure everything happens. And before before we partake of communion together, I want to take just a moment and we'll wait till everyone has one. If you would, go ahead and uh, bow your head for just a moment. 
just want to give an opportunity this morning, if there's anyone here who would like to receive Jesus as Savior and experience the forgiveness of sins provided for us through His dead blood on the cross, if so, then pray this prayer with me, and you can pray it for yourself. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. Thank you for forgiving me and giving me eternal life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. In your name I pray. Amen. And with heads still bowed, please, if you prayed that prayer, could you raise your hand just to let me know if you have received Jesus with your Savior? From the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Let's partake of the bread. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Well, the other most important event in history is the resurrection. In fact, this morning, uh, some of you uh, have, well, some of us have been reading through a devotional book together through the Lenten season. And after the scripture reading this morning, uh, here's what the first lines of the meditation said. All Christianity is summed up in one verifiable historical event, and this changes everything. Dean, would you read our next passage for us? So we're going to read Matthew, or I'm going to read Matthew 28, verses 1 through 7. If you could stand again for the reading of God's Word. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. 
the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you the word of the Lord. So why the resurrection? Well, I would tell you I can't imagine life without the resurrection. Because Jesus was resurrected, resurrected, it validated who he said he was, the Son of God. It proved that he had the authority to forgive sin. It confirmed that all he taught was true. The grave lost its cold, steely grip on humanity. The resurrection broke the power of the grave, all because Jesus came back to life. Acts 2.24 says, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. When, you know, when, the, when Jesus died, when he was crucified, the disciples fled in fear. They went into hiding, afraid that if they were found, they would face the same ignoble death that Jesus had suffered. But Acts chapter 1, verse 3 tells us this. After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them, the disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Because of the resurrection, the disciples were no longer afraid to die. Jesus came back and broke the power of the fear of death. The disciples who had been so full of fear now became courageous after being eyewitnesses to the resurrected Lord. Hebrews 2 verses 14 and 15 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Because of the resurrection, we, like the disciples, can be freed from the fear of death. To know that we, like Jesus, will be resurrected to eternal life removes the power of death to hold us captive to the fear of death. Because of the resurrection, we have God's Spirit in us. Romans 8.11 And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. And then Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. 
The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that is at work in us who believe. And if God's power can raise Jesus from the dead, imagine, imagine what He can do in your life. There is no hurt that cannot be healed. There is no relationship that cannot be reconciled. There is no past that cannot be forgiven. There is no addiction that cannot be overcome. There is no brokenness that cannot be mended. We can be overcomers instead of being overcome. We can be joyful in the midst of trials. We can be grateful in the midst of privation. We can be content in all circumstances. All because Jesus was raised from the dead and that same power is at work in us. Because of the resurrection, we can have eternal life and an eternal home. John 11.25, Jesus speaking at, at, at the death of Lazarus when He raised Him from the dead. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in Me will live even though they die. And in 2 Corinthians 5.1, it says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. It is our comfort and our joy to know that because Jesus was resurrected from the dead, we who have trusted Him for salvation will live forever. This knowledge is what eases the pain of losing a loved one who has died in Christ. A.W. Tozer wrote, and he was writing about the Christian funeral, he said, a Christian can die well because he, because he is the only one who dares to die at all. The lost man cannot afford to die, and that he must, and that he must die is his infinite woe. A Christian dares to die because his Savior has died and risen. And when we die, there's a home in heaven that awaits us. Jesus promised that he would prepare a place for us in his Father's house. I remember the words of a song that I haven't heard in a long time, but the beginning, but here's a couple of phrases from that song. It says, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. Because Jesus was resurrected, we will have eternal life and an eternal home. And then 1 Corinthians 6.14 says this, By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. I want to close with this. When I pastored on the Oregon coast, we had a young family in our church that suffered a tragic loss. The mother, an eight-year-old daughter, had gone into Portland about an hour's drive to see the pediatrician. On the way home, the car crossed the center line and they collided head-on with a semi-tractor trailer. Both were killed instantly, leaving behind the husband and a five-year-old son. As their pastor... I was called upon to do the funeral as well as the graveside committal service. Following the graveside service, 
As I was leaving the cemetery, the young woman's father walked up to me and said this, and I will never forget it. Pastor, we're okay. We believe in the resurrection. Folks, that is an expression of hope. It is the hope we have because Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. We have a tendency sometimes to think that death is somehow the end. It is not. Colossians 1.8 tells us, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Jesus has overcome the power of death. It had no hold on him and has no hold over us if we put our faith in Jesus as Savior. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 and 57, Where, O death, is thy victory? Where, O death, is thy sting? But thanks be to God, He gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. He is risen. Julie's going to come and lead us. We're going to close with the song, Because He Lives. It was written and composed by Bill and Gloria Gaither. This is the 50th anniversary. This year is the 50th anniversary of this beloved hymn that I think has become one of the great anthems of the church. This may be the most popular of the more than 700 gospel songs produced by this couple. And I can't think of a more fitting way to, to end our Resurrection Sunday celebration. Let's go ahead and stand as we sing the final song for today. God sent His Son, they called Him Jesus. He came to love, heal and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior.
of the resurrection of our risen Lord. You are dismissed.